Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Nick, and I'm the student ministries pastor here at Bethany, and it's uh, my privilege to be able to uh, teach this Advent Sunday on the topic of scent. A few years ago, uh, Brown University did a test with jelly beans, the jelly bean test. Uh, it was a study that linked smell to taste. Uh, you would identify the flavor of a gourmet jelly bean. Uh, you couldn't identify it unless you could smell it. So what they had participants do is to take one, taste it, identify the flavor. You know those good jelly beans that you can get, at the big one at Costco, right? And, and taste it. And then they were like, oh, popcorn flavor or vanilla or whatever. And then they had the participants plug their nose and taste the same one again or a different one and see if they could identify it and they weren't able to, uh, to do it with their nose plugged. It said, you might as well have been eating sugar-drenched erasers, is how the article put it. Uh, what's more, smell, as we know, is one of the most powerful memory triggers of all of our senses. And that's why certain smells take us back to certain times and places. So for me, I can remember uh, going to the mall as a 20-something single person when I was able to afford going to Nordstrom's and to buy clothes. Now with a family of four daughters, that's not a reality. But um, going and no, do you know what I'm talking about? Like the mall, there's certain department stores that have a distinct uh, flavor or smell to it. Uh, Nordstrom's, I think, is one of those. Or growing up as a kid, I remember uh, Man, almost all my entire life as a, as a kid, going to my grandparents' house on Christmas Eve where all the relatives would be there and everybody would be coming together. And just that scent, that smell of going to grandma's house uh, stays with me. And even now when I go and I just go to visit my grandparents, it's that same memory of Christmas Eve going back and the whole family celebrating that together. And maybe you have your own kind of idea that's coming into your mind as what it is that triggers for you, a smell that triggers for you a certain uh, memory. And so this Advent Sunday, we're going to be approaching the sense of scent or the, uh, the word aroma this morning. And we're going to begin by looking at three examples of aroma and how they have an impact on our connection with God and with others. Our connection with God and others. And so how do these three participles, inhaling past aromas, discovering the definitive aroma, and becoming the present aroma, have an impact on our connection with God and with others. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity again to be here together, to celebrate who you are, to be reminded through this powerful sense of scent, of smell, of aroma, of what that means for us in our relationship to you, our worship to you, what it means to others, both in life and in death. Um, God, I just ask that you would make it clear to our hearts and to our minds this morning of, of what this means for us today on this Advent Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So throughout the Bible, as we look at this first one, inhaling past aromas, as we look into the scripture, worship to God often resulted in aroma. Uh, because in the Old Testament, as you may know, as you look at different examples, Often there was an animal that was sacrificed. And so because of the animals uh, being sacrificed and the aroma that was there, uh, there was often this connection between, again, worshiping God and aroma. Uh, there would be an altar that would be built. There would be a fire that was started. And then there would be a sacrifice that was offered. Uh, 
And this aroma would then be lifted up to heaven. And in Leviticus chapter 1, three different times, but in verse 9, it says that a pleasing odor, it was a pleasing odor to the Lord. Another example is found uh, with Noah as his family is debarking the ark. They're coming, it's like their first event that they do as a family. When they come off of the ark, it says in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 21, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground. Because of humankind. For the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. And then the third example is again found in Exodus chapter 29 with Aaron and Moses, but specifically given to Aaron here. He says he's given specific details by God on how they are to worship and how they are to sacrifice. In each of these sections that we look at this morning, I hope to have some observations for us and some application as well. Now, as I go through these observations, in no means am I trying to say that there is a certain method or way that we have to experience or worship God, that sometimes transformation happens uh, before worship or worship and then a sacrifice. And so as I go through these, I am kind of going one through four on some of these observations, but hear me at the beginning that they often can kind of come and go and be at different places as we look at these observations. So this first observation of this past aroma, of of discovering this past aroma or inhaling this past aroma, is that there's there's worship, that's is what we're saying here, and that in worship, there's always an object. There's always an object in worship that we're worshiping. And so in these examples, the worship that we know is to God. But Israel not always followed that, followed that. Uh, they, they often uh, would d- deal with worship to God and to other gods of the land that they were in, to sacrifice to all idols, but also to the Lord their God, as though each of them had something to offer. And there's no better example of this than found in the golden calf that Israel has Aaron build while Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 32, we learn that they desired something tangible that they could see and touch, And so they asked Aaron to build them a calf. And he apparently decided that that would be easier than fighting them. And so he does as they ask. And the point is is that we will worship something. We will worship something. All of us, as we examine our hearts, as we examine our lives, we're going to prioritize something, someone, or something. And so, again, as we look at this example from the Old Testament, they they knew about the idea of worshiping God didn't always practice it well, but they knew it. Then there's the form, if you will. There is that actual sacrifice. And again, in the Old Testament, most oftentimes, it was an an, an animal that was sacrificed. And I, I, as I was preparing for this, I I had paused and I would think, man, how did those priests handle that aroma (laughs) of that sacrifice? Because I would imagine it could be pretty gnarly at times. It could be pretty nasty at times, the scent of having to. I grew up in Yakima in eastern Washington, and whenever I would go home in Ellensburg, there was a slaughterhouse. I don't know if, you are, if anyone's from eastern Washington, you know what I'm talking about. And there was would be an aroma there that would just be, whew. And so when I think about the priests, I think, man, they must, they must have had a smeller like me because I don't have a good one. Uh, you know, having... Um, 
daughters and having infants, we've had many diapers that we've had to change. And I can be sitting in there with one of my daughters. Uh, they're all out of diapers now, thankfully. Uh, but looking back, I could be sitting in the same room with them and not smell that they've uh, taken care of their business there. And, and my wife literally will be in another room and be like, hey, I smell something. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So I imagine maybe the priests were a little like me and didn't have a good smeller. And we're like, okay, they can get through this, this job. Because the scent, the aroma of it, the smell of those sacrifices would go as a, it would be received to God as a, as, a, as a sacrifice. He would be pleasing to him. And then in the end, it would lead to transformation. Uh, it leads to transformation and the promise that God, in this case with these people, that God would be with them, that he would fulfill their promises, uh, the promises that he's made to them. And so again, I'm not proposing a method here, but just this idea that these, these observations, I think, are a part of as we look at these different participles this morning. So what, has, what was worshiping, uh, what was happening in the Old Testament is still, was still happening when Jesus is born and comes onto the scene. And we encounter a similar act of worship with the Magi. In Matthew chapter 2, as was read, uh, we see that these wise men from the east are coming, and they come into Jerusalem. They're following a star, and it comes into Jerusalem. And as they come into Jerusalem, they're asking questions, and it gets Herod's attention, and it gets the uh, religious leader's attention, and they they tell uh, these wise men where to specifically go, to Bethlehem, that this is where this Messiah was to be born. And so they head off there uh, to, 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 to worship Jesus, to worship this new king of the Jews. And when they show up in the house, Jesus has already been born, moved out of the manger and into it says a house or somewhere where they were staying now. And they come and they see Jesus and they worship Jesus and they do this. Their sacrifice was their time, uh, was their travel, and was these gifts that they gave to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And, and I think about them uh, as they would give this frankincense gift specifically. And on your bulletin, I don't know if you noticed, uh, we have put a little dab of frankincense on your bulletin. And so you can smell that or if you have already. Um, that's what Jesus received as a gift. And that's significant because these gifts that they gave to, to Jesus and to Mary and Joseph would have been gifts that primarily would have been received by a king, a new king being born. And so there's a lot of symbolism here. And, and also there's symbolism in that these gifts would have been, especially the frankincense and myrrh, gifts that maybe spoke to his coming uh, death and what would happen in, to, in his life. Um, some say that these gifts obviously were just real practical, that they could use these gifts. They could uh, use them to get by with or that maybe they sold some of the frankincense and myrrh because we know that as soon as the wise men leave, um, they, Mary and Joseph, get another word from an angel to go and move to Egypt because Herod is after them. And so they would have had these resources. But without maybe intentionally knowing, they were offering these, way, uh, these gifts as a sacrifice and a way of worship to God. And they themselves were transformed. That is the magi, the, the wise men were re- transformed in that they didn't choose to go back to Herod. They chose, they, had a, they disobeyed really a, a law, a civil law that would have been passed from Herod to say, we're going to go now and go a different route home. They changed themselves uh, and their response to what was happening in their lives. And so when we worship and we sacrifice and we offer up an aroma to Christ, our lives are transformed. That's those observations from inhaling this. And so the application for us this morning is in whenever we 
truly worship God, or in the case of the wise men, encounter Jesus. So when we worship God by being with him, by acts of service, by prayer, by genuinely loving those around us, because again, remember, worship is not just this, what we do here on Sunday morning, right? This is not, this is part of worship. You can say that this is worship because we're gathered together as a community. We're singing songs where scripture is being read and taught. That's all worship. But worship is also when we go out and we love our neighbors. When we go and we spend time in prayer and communion and, and talking with God. Worship is a lot of different ways. And so when we, when we put that priority on Jesus and our relationship with him and knowing him and being with him, then and there's an aroma that's, that's changed, that's, that's offered. There's a, uh, a sacrifice that's made in our lives because something else is going to be, uh, is going to be put away or is going to be put aside as we take time to focus on Jesus and worship him. And then transformation takes place as well. I, I, I think about every summer, every summer I have an opportunity to take the youth ministry to a, a property called North Star. And there's some families in our church that are part of the ownership of that. And every summer they allow the youth ministry to go out to Mercer Island. It's right on the water on Lake Washington. And we get to spend an entire day, pretty much the day from like about 3 o'clock until 10 o'clock at night uh, out on the waterfront there on Lake Washington. Um, boats, um, swimming. Uh, there's a big fire pit. The kids... Um, we do a devotional time around it and do s'mores. There's a huge field, a yard that the students are playing and having a good time. And one of the things that I do, I actually enjoy doing it, um, is I stand at the grill, the barbecue, and cook over 100 hamburgers and a bunch of hot dogs all afternoon because you would be surprised, maybe you know, how much teenagers can eat, okay? And when I get there, we get there at 3, and I'm thinking, okay, dinner will be, I'm not kidding, like within the first 20 minutes, can we eat it? And I'm like, I haven't even started the grill. But then I'll start it, and I'll stand there for probably two or three hours. And when I get done with the grill, and then going down to the fire, and they're doing s'mores, and like I said, I have this certain aroma about me, right? I mean, I smell like a barbecue, right? I mean, it's like, I smell like meat, I smell like smoke, and when I go to get back in the bus or when I come back here and I'm talking to a parent who's picking up their student or when I go home and I walk into my, into my room and my wife's already asleep, I mean, this aroma is just, I mean, it's just lofting in there and it's just beautiful, not really, and, uh, until I take a shower. And so the aroma of Christ, if you will, becomes a part of who we are. It becomes who we are. The more we worship, the more we sacrifice, the more we're transformed, this aroma becomes a part of who we are. And this helps us to understand that worship requires a sacrifice. All of this then is pointing us towards the perfect sacrifice, which is our second participle this morning, our second example of discovering the definitive aroma. Discovering the definitive aroma. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. As Christ loved us, and here it is, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Referring again to Jesus. Jesus was that fragrant offering. And so all worship requires a sacrifice. And Jesus sacrificed his very life. But not only in his death, 
but also how he lived. And I want us to catch that. I want us to pause here for a minute. Oftentimes when we think of that Jesus sacrificed his life, that he became this fragrant aroma, our minds, I think, at least for me, it went right to the cross and to the work that Jesus did there in the resurrection, that he offered himself as a sacrifice. But to remember that his entire life was offered as a sacrifice. I I look at the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4, and starting around verse 14, Jesus is back in Nazareth. Okay, he's just beginning his ministry, his earthly ministry, and he's back in Nazareth where he was raised, right? And he's in the synagogue, and he's sitting around this room with men who were probably leaders in the city even when he was a young man, a child even, and, and they're there, and they hand him the scroll. They, like, they give him the scroll. They're already starting to recognize. They probably did even when he was a kid, recognize that there was something special about Jesus. They hand him the scroll, and Jesus opens up to the prophet Isaiah, and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for, uh, of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And we know then that as Jesus enters into his ministry, he accomplishes all these things that were just said. This prophecy from Isaiah. He accomplishes it. He sacrifices not only his actual life, but he sacrifices in how he lived his life. He gave his life. Paul again in Philippians chapter 2 said it this way as a kind of an observation looking back on how Jesus lived. It says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to, to, to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus, the observation that we find from here with Jesus in, in him uh, dis- becoming the definitive aroma himself is that his worship was always about God the Father. He did everything that he did was about bringing glory to God, bringing glory to his Father, staying connected to his Father. Oftentimes we know that Jesus would withdraw and spend time in prayer. Even when the crowds would be pressing in on him and wanting his attention, Jesus would withdraw to go and be with God the Father. His worship, if you will, was towards and to God the Father. His form, his sacrifice was, like I said, his life itself, his own very life and his death, of course, and resurrection. And the vehicle of the aroma was, I think, again, that, that, the aroma of the, of the cross and, and, the, and the stench, if you will, that was happening in that moment around the cross. And then his transformation took place through his death and his resurrection, but it also changes our life. Our life in that moment is transformed. Which leads to our, to our third example of aroma this morning, becoming the present aroma. I remember when I was in college, I had an opportunity to be a part of, kind of launch and start, brought in a few other university students with me to taking uh, meals to students, to homeless teenagers living in the U District. There was a pretty big population um, in the 90s of, of teenagers who were homeless and were living on the streets of uh, the U District. And we, 
got uh, permission from the church I was an intern at, just over here on 65th and Roosevelt, to um, go to and ask for permission, got into the food bank um, once or twice a week, and whatever kind of was there, we would cook it. We would go into the church's kitchen and, and make it a bunch, and then load it up into a couple cars, and we would go down to the district. Now, I had been doing that for a couple years. I did it for like two or three years. And so after a, a while, the, the students, the, the kids would know where to meet us. We would just met actually in a back alley in, uh, out there. Um, and the students, the kids would just come. Uh, sometimes, I think our biggest crowd probably was like 70 some people came uh, to get a meal that night. Um, most of the time it was usually about 30. 30 students would come and, and eat. And again, meeting in the back of an alley um, there was a different. There was different smells that we would encounter, but I just was thinking about this and reflecting on it about the smell of the meal that was offered to them, and becoming the presence of Christ, becoming the aroma of Christ. And I'm not telling you the story to like pat myself on the back because I can tell you this with all honesty. There's been many times where I've not reflected the aroma of Christ well in my life. But in this memory, in this example, I remember thinking, oh, man, this meal is such a blessing to these students and, how is, and getting to know them and serving and figuring out what their needs are and just listening to their stories and being with them. And then, again, as I was reflecting on this, the idea of this meal just lofting up to them and what that would have meant to them was pretty significant. So how are we to become this aroma, this present aroma of, of Christ? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 Verses 14 through 16 help us, helps us. It says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. How many, how many have ever been to a parade? Any kind of parade? I'd imagine most of us. Anyone been to a victory parade? Like the Sounders. Anyone go to the Sounders parade? Okay. How many were at the Seahawks parade a couple years ago? Yeah, a few more hands, right? And so we've, we've kind of been there. We've been fortunate the last few years here in Seattle to have a couple victory parades. But why does Paul use this image of a parade? Why does he use this idea of a triumphal procession? Well, most scholars think that victory parades originated um, in triumphs of ancient Rome. That during the time of the empire of Rome, that they they would have conquered these foreign lands. That the Roman triumphs were the crowning achievement of a Roman general. I love history, so when, when I started to study this, I was like, oh, this is great. I actually just got done watching a documentary on Roman history, so um, I know I'm kind of a nerd that way, but it was cool. I like that. But So this like, makes sense to me as we start to unpack this a little bit about why Paul would have used that image. Romans, um, again, they would have had this amazing parade, this procession of victories, uh, of victorious forces who were followed by the captured leaders and even some of their families who and slaves, and then the, they would have taken all of the treasures from those lands and brought it into this grand spectacle of an enormous proportions, just gigantic celebration of a parade. And when the conquering army would return, the soldiers would lead and drag this, um, the soldiers who had been conquered, and, um, and they would drag them from behind. Uh, and many of them headed to their own execution. 
So this victory parade would be a triumph of celebration with a very um, specific order. Uh, the Senate normally would come walking in first. The trumpeters and it would announce then the arrival of this, of this parade. Carts laden with goods of the victory, including vast fortunes, followed by musicians, white bulls and oxen for sacrifice, animals and plants that were from the conquered uh, territory, uh, enemy le- leaders themselves, like I said, would be dragged in. The heroes, in, uh, 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 with the heroes of the battle with garlands and flowers. And then last, the, the conquering general pulled in a cart normally by four horses adorned with flowers. So this amazing spectacle, this amazing triumphant um, celebration. It literally smelled like a triumph, like a, a victory. Because the temples used for idol worship were also all the doors would be flown open or flew open on that or thrown open on that. And incense smoked was burned on every altar. So everywhere you went near the parade, you would either smell victory if you were Roman or you would smell defeat if you were one of the conquered ones. Same aroma, but to different, it meant something different depending on where you were, who you were. It'd be like the Tacoma aroma would take on new power if when you smelt it, it meant that one of your friends was going to die. So verse 14 says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. So it's a new world order of Christ's reign. And we all have been invited to be in this victory parade. We're all invited. So good news We've been invited into the parade, but where are you marching? Are we the victors or the prisoners? This observation in this section really is more like questions for us to ponder. Worship. Who or what are we worshiping? This Advent season, can we take our own smell test? Who or what are you worshiping? Where, where is... What is priority in your life today? What are you sacrificing? Again, something is going to have to give. Something's going to have to be sacrificed as you prioritize your relationship with Jesus. What is your aroma? What are you putting off? What is, your, what is the smell, the scent that you're offering? And is it leading to transformation? Is all of this leading to transformation in your life? Paul again in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Later in Jesus' life and his ministry again, he must have met this woman who her life had been changed by him. We don't know how she came to encounter the gospel, but somehow she had, because there was no other explanation for her behavior than transform- transformational grace that she had received from Jesus. Her story is found in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read it for us this morning. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 38. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town 
who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man is, if he were with a prophet, he would know who, it, who and what kind of woman it is that is touching him. She is a sinner. Let me pause there. Again, this woman coming to the feet of Jesus, the religious leader hadn't offered anything to wash Jesus' feet or to, to anoint him, to recognize who he was. And so this woman comes in and she does this. She takes this alabaster jar and begins to pour it over Jesus and begins to, to wash his feet with her hair, moved to tears. Her sacrifice, her, her worship was to Jesus. She knew who he was. She had, had encountered him at some point and was coming to worship him. And as a result, she was sacrificing her, this, this jar, a very expensive jar of perfume being poured out upon him and moved with emotions, this fragrance that would have filled the entire room. All of these religious leaders from that point going forward, whenever they would smell that aroma, they would remember remember that experience. They would have remembered what have happened in that room. And her life is transformed, not only because of what she's done there, not just because of what she did there by coming, but because of what Jesus says later on. He says to her, he says that um, because of her faith, she's been forgiven. See, the object of her faith, right, was, was again to, to worship Jesus. And it changes her and it changes the world. It changed the, those, those people that were there. And so how do these, these three changes, these three examples rather, these three participles of inhaling past aromas, defining the definitive aroma, and being the present aroma, have an impact on our connection with God and with others? As we prepare to respond this morning in worship, I, I wonder what our act of worship smells like to God, to others. And can I... Also say, I think it's so important to, to add this here, that a lot of this message this morning has been about us in a way, like me and my relationship with Jesus. But I wonder what our aroma is collectively as a community. What is our aroma as a, as an, as a worship to God, as a, as a sense, as a sacrifice of transformation that's taking place as a, as, a, as, a minute, as a church, as a community. So as we respond this morning, I want you to be thinking, yes, about my own life. What's going on in my own heart, in my own life? Where am I worshiping God? How am I worshiping God? Uh, is, am I sacrificing in there? Is there transformation happening? But also think about it as a community. When we come in here together, do we have a sense of that this is my family? And you know how, like one of my daughters just this week, without knowing that I was talking about this, said, our family has a smell. Hopefully that was a positive comment, <laughs> but like families do, right? Like we talked about with our with going to grandma's house. Fam but what is what do we smell like? Do you sense community? Do you have family here? I hope so. I hope, that's my prayer for us, is that when you walk in, you're just not a face not sitting on a on a on a pew. No pun intended. Um, uh, that uh, that you're sitting in it here with us in worship. Uh, and that you sense that this is your community, that this is your family. And what is the aroma of our community? What is the aroma of our family? So yes, as an individual, be thinking about processing this as we are in this Advent season, but also as we come together as a community. We examine your life and ask again what it is that you're focusing on on worship today. 
What sacrifice do I have to offer today? What fragrance are we creating in and through our lives? Is it a pleasing aroma to God and to others? Is it bringing life to others or is it bringing death to some? Or is it similar to the test of the jelly beans where there is no scent? It's a sugar-drenched eraser. And you want God to bring back, again, a scent, a flavor to your life and to your relationship with him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for today and for this message. Thank you for this reminder that we are called to be the aroma of Christ. And that happens as we worship you, as we sacrifice, as we're transformed. Again, God, not so much a a step-by-step process and what that looks like for us, but that as we do these things, as we're reminded of, of the aroma of Christ, that you would remind us this Advent season of what that means to be in relationship with you to be knowing you, to be known by you. And I just pray that if, there's the, if there are those here this morning who feel like their life has been um, void of, of an aroma or there is an aroma, but it's not been pleasant, it's not pleasing to you, and, and that, um, God, you would just remind us, you would gently remind us um, of what areas in our lives we need to um, seek forgiveness in, to be reconciled in, to see transformation happen in, and that as we leave today and as we go forward into this week of of this amazing celebration of of your life, um, God, that you would help us to um, turn those to you, turn those areas over to you, to be open to to, uh, your work in our lives and so that transformation, healing, and hope can take place in our lives. So we offer this time of response to you In Jesus' name we pray, amen.